Kayla Berg was 15 when she disappeared back in 2009. Somebody knows something. Please, for the love of God, if you know something, just tell law enforcement, the FBI, any agency. Just help me get my daughter back and help me find her and get some answers. And if Kayla, you still happen to see this somewhere, oh God, I love you and I just want you. Welcome to the Searching for Closure podcast, an ongoing investigation into the unsolved 2009 missing persons case of 15-year-old Kayla Berg. As with most unsolved cases, theories and speculation run rampant. I'll admit it happened in Tina's case. When you don't have a lot of evidence to work with, all you're left with is theories. This case is no different. There are a multitude of theories out there. While theories can be beneficial, helping explore avenues not yet thought of, it can also hinder investigations by creating tunnel vision and muddy in the water. One theory, which is probably one of the most popular theories, is that Kayla's disappearance is completely tied to Kevin, the man she was last seen with. Kevin's refusal of questions in the days following Kayla's disappearance, as well as the cadaver dogs hitting and his choice to hire a lawyer have been huge red flags for people who think that he may know more than he's letting on. Another theory suggests that Kayla was abducted and possibly murdered by an unknown suspect. Supporters of this theory believe that Kayla was either engaged in an intimate relationship with someone in Wausau, other than Miguel, who may have ties to drug dealers, and that she wanted to be dropped off at the abandoned house in order to meet this unknown person. Others, however, believe that upon being dropped off at the house, Kayla may have been attacked by someone who was squatting at the location, or simply saw an opportunity, such as a neighbor or a local sex offender. Another theory is that Kayla may have gone to the house that night because Miguel told her to go there, and after he met up with her, he abducted her, and he killed her. Miguel's choice to stop cooperating with authorities and the pings on his old cell phone indicate that he may, at a minimum, have knowledge of what happened to Kayla the night she vanished, and this leads people to assume his guilt. Kayla's disappearance is one of those mysteries that once you begin to examine it, it's the same as chasing a white rabbit down a hole. It's really frustrating to find that all the information available just doesn't add up. The more questions you try to answer, the more questions you're left with. Factor in all the rumors, speculation, and circumstantial evidence, and it's a mystery wrapped inside another mystery. It's hard to wrap your head around the fact that a 15-year-old girl went missing, and the two men in her life are not only the prime suspects, according to police, but they were both so much older than her and seemed to do so little to help find her. There are several things that hindered this investigation and caused the facts to get confused with fiction. The media at the time reported multiple details 
which later turned out to be false. Also, one of the biggest problems is the infamous YouTube video. On Saturday, October 8th, a YouTube video was sent to Antigo Police Department. The video had been posted anonymously in October of 2009, two months after Kayla disappeared. In the video, a man with glasses is talking to his friend named Walter, who you never quite see. With great joy and excitement, he talks about meeting a woman. They went shopping together, and that this woman is now his girlfriend. Towards the end of the video, the man opens a door which appears to lead to a bathroom, and a young woman can be seen in the background, bound and screaming. The man closes the door behind him, obstructing the camera's view, and the screaming gets louder and more intense. When the video was brought to the attention of the Antigua police, they were instantly interested in it. The woman in the video bore a striking resemblance to Kayla, and it was quite a coincidence that it was released so close to her disappearance. When the video was shown to Hope, she felt that the girl in the video really looked like Kayla, and she was extremely shaken and upset by it. Hope, as well as investigators, thought there may be a connection there, and so a full investigation into the video was launched. It took authorities only three days to track down the people in the video, and ultimately, it was proven to be a work of fiction. It was learned that the man in the video, Michael Mayton, was simply an independent filmmaker. The video itself was simply part of a planned series of horror films, which had been quickly dropped. The video had been the hot point of controversy in the case, with many feeling that those who made the video should have been prosecuted. While the video may be disturbing to some, it was made to be that way, and it was a work of fiction. The only difference between this film and a Hollywood horror film is probably the budget. Those who acted in and constructed the video never tried to link it to Kayla or any other missing persons case. Sure, the woman in the video does resemble Kayla, but it was an actress and she's very alive and well. It was an unfortunate combination of circumstances that led the video entering the world of Kayla. While this video has drummed up a lot of attention to Kayla's case, it's also muddied up the waters with multiple articles being written about it. To this day, if you Google Kayla for information, it mostly brings up this video or articles and news stories discussing it. Even the TV show Disappeared spent the most of its final segment discussing the video before making a quick note saying that it was only a hoax. All this adds to the fire of drama and keeps the rumor mill turning. For a while, there was an idea that Kayla may have been a runaway, either having left town to move on elsewhere or perhaps even that she was staying with a friend, her ex-boyfriend, or someone else. As I stated on the first episode, police felt that her friends were being uncooperative early on, and this added to speculation that Kayla's whereabouts may have been known and that her friends were protecting her. Almost nine years later, this doesn't seem very likely. Not only would it be extremely hard for a grown adult to vanish and start a new life for almost a decade, it would be almost impossible for a young girl that was Kayla's age. Also, both investigators and Kayla's family have made it fairly clear that they don't believe that the situation 
is that of a runaway, but rather the evidence suggests that foul play was involved. Wading through the rumors and speculation on this case can be very difficult, and in many instances, knowing what is true and what is only gossip has been complicated. From the rumors circulating around the school in town to the theories of investigators or whack job psychopaths on Facebook, getting down to the actual facts isn't nearly as cut and dry as it should be. But once you're able to brush away everything that has no basis in actual evidence, you're left with a fairly blank sheet of paper with hardly any details and a timeline which cannot be completely known. Besides the fact that Kevin claims he was dropping Kayla off to see her ex-boyfriend, there's not much else that can be provided in terms of details. Miguel claimed that he didn't see Kayla that night, and investigators can't really prove otherwise. Miguel did stop cooperating with authorities later on, but he didn't go as far as hiring a lawyer. He simply felt that he was being harassed, and he no longer wished to participate. And while you'd assume that if he truly cared about Kayla, he'd want to help, we also have no way of knowing exactly what investigators said to him or what kind of pressure they put on him. There are essentially two pieces of information which have pointed to Miguel as a possible suspect in this case. First, a forensic examination of the vehicle resulted in authorities removing samples from it for further testing. These tests were later announced to have not been a match for what they were looking for, but police have also never really said what they were looking for or what they tested. This has been wildly speculated on, and it's difficult to examine without knowing exactly what you're looking for. With Miguel having been in the sights of investigators, had they matched something to suggest he'd been involved in Kayla's disappearance, you'd think we probably would have heard something about it. Of course, as I learned from investigating Tina's case, even 45 years later, police don't want to say anything more than they have to. It was like pulling teeth just to get confirmation of things that had been printed in newspapers. Another piece of information which investigators discussed were cell phone pings which took place north of Wausau. According to their search, these pings were connected to a phone registered in Miguel's name a phone which he had previously used, but it wasn't his main phone at the time. For many, this indicated that Miguel knew authorities would try to track his phone, and he used his older phone to try to throw him off. I mean, this could be the case, but if he's smart enough to know they could track his main phone, you'd think that he'd be smart enough to know that they could track the old phone as well. Police did go to the area where the pings occurred and conducted searches, though it's difficult to narrow down the exact location from a ping. Some people wonder if something occurred between Miguel and Kayla that night which resulted in her death, whether that's the result of a premeditated act or could have been an accident. Supporters of this theory feel that Miguel knows more than he's saying. There's been a lot of speculation about Miguel's family, and rumors that his brother may have been involved in a crime with Kayla that night. There's been gossip that a body was burned the night Kayla died, but there's no evidence to support it. A source indicated on several online forums that 
He or she had spoken to an individual who reported the story to Antigua police and that upon reporting it, it was dismissed by them. While there may have been illegal activities related to Miguel's family, there isn't much evidence to connect anyone to a murder that night. Remember, even when someone's arrested for a crime, they are innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Even then, sometimes innocent people are convicted for a crime they had nothing to do with. Miguel was 19 years old when he was dating Kayla, who was only 15. This isn't really looked upon kindly in a lot of communities, so that could be one contributing factor that made people label him so quickly as a suspect. On the other hand, a boyfriend or ex-boyfriend is almost always one of the first people that authorities look into when something like this happens. Whether or not Miguel was involved in Kayla's disappearance, we honestly might never know. But authorities have stated on multiple occasions that he is someone they would like to ask more questions. Unfortunately, without further information or evidence, they can't force him to talk. One last theory to discuss on today's episode is that Kevin, the 24-year-old family friend and last person that has seen Kayla that night, may have been involved in her disappearance and possible murder. This is a theory which has been the source of a great deal of controversy, with many feeling that Kevin is guilty and others arguing that he was simply hanging out with Kayla and dropped her off where she wanted to be dropped off at. Despite what side of the argument you fall on, there does appear to be evidence which suggests that Kevin may know a little bit more than he's sharing with investigators about what happened that night. Even if you believe he's 100% guilty, it's important to remember that no one has been convicted of a crime, and as of right now, there is no evidence to convict him or anyone else. You have to wonder though, if Kayla made plans with her friend Beth, and also since Kayla had no phone and Kevin's phone wasn't turned on, what would have it made her want to go to Wasa all of a sudden? She had no way of arranging any plans with anyone unless, I don't know, she used a payphone. It wasn't uncommon for Kevin to drive Kayla and her friends around to different places, including Wausau. Some of Kayla's friends even referred to Kevin as someone who was like a, a protector. But what kind of protector leaves a stoned 15-year-old girl all by herself at an abandoned house? in the middle of the night, and then just drives away without even making sure she gets inside okay. It's questions like this that cast suspicion on Kevin, along with his refusal to help. This podcast isn't the type to harass people or chase them down. I'll listen to people. I will fairly let people share their story in their own words. According to reports made by Kevin, he dropped Kayla off at 10.30 p.m. and then, by the statements of his mother, was home by midnight. This entire case, all of the details revolving around Kayla's whereabouts after her visit to McDonald's that night, are based purely on Kevin's statements. And, unfortunately, that's not a lot to go on. All the evidence so far is circumstantial. The hits by the cadaver dogs while 
certainly are enough to interest investigators, cannot be tied to a specific individual. And you can't arrest someone because of the scent without a lot more evidence. The inability to track Kevin's phone that night makes it almost impossible for investigators to know his whereabouts between 9 p.m. and midnight, assuming that his mother seeing him at home at midnight is actually true. Kevin was arrested and he was charged with reckless endangerment, but those charges were dismissed by a judge for lack of evidence. This shoves investigators back to square one, and even now, nearly nine years later, Kevin still remains at the top of the list of people of interest, but there just isn't enough evidence to move any forward. One ongoing cause for concern comes from something posted on a Reddit page regarding Kayla. Here's the condensed version of it. 1017 East Wausau Avenue is the address where Kevin says he dropped Kayla off the night she went missing. Kayla's ex-boyfriend, Miguel, lived and owned that address, even though he was staying at 605 East Bridge Street in Wausau at the time of her disappearance. Two blocks away is 1007 East Wausau Avenue, which was allegedly owned and occupied by Carrie, who is Miguel's brother. They share the same mother, but have different fathers. Miguel's family and Carrie's family all are alleged to have ties to Forest County through the casino up there. A woman by the name of Jeanette had been working at the nursing home across the street from 1017 East Wausau Avenue years ago. She disappeared walking home from work and was found murdered in Wausau 10 months later. It's alleged that an ex-girlfriend of Kevin had driven to Wausau with Kayla several times and smoked pot with her. The unnamed girlfriend supposedly lived on Chicago Street, about a block from 605 Bridge Street. She was an adult, and Kayla was in her early teens at the time. Another unnamed witness placed Kayla at the 605 East Bridge Street address the day before she disappeared. Yet another unnamed witness stated that she was in a Wausau tavern with a close friend of the two brothers some time after Kayla disappeared. He was crying when he told her that Kayla had gone to the Bridge Street address to let someone there know that she was pregnant by him. One of the brothers was an adult, and she was a minor. He believes that the adult told Kayla to meet him at the Wausau Avenue address that night. He further stated that the adult and his brother raped and murdered Kayla. The friend and co-worker of the two brothers stated he went to a home of one of the brothers the next day to see them. At the time, the witness didn't know that Kayla had disappeared. The brothers were not there, and their mother or maybe their grandmother told him that they had gone to buy cleaning supplies to clean one of their houses. He stated that he thought this was very odd because... They never cleaned anything. He further stated that they buried her on reservation land. The witness also stated that she had contacted Kayla's mother by text about what he had told her. Kayla's mother had contacted the Antigua Police Department, who in turn called this woman and spent a few minutes talking with her on the phone, thanked her, and then just said goodbye. 
The woman said she felt they completely blew her off and she felt stupid afterwards for contacting them. I reached out to Kayla's mother, Hope, and her close friend, Christine, to see if we couldn't put this theory to rest. Christine is a very close friend of Hope. They became friends through mutual tragedy. This is Christine. Hi. I talked to you on the internet about Kayla and Hope. Yeah. Um, awesome podcast for a start. Oh, thank Thanks. you. If um, I I started getting hot and heavy with Kayla's case after nearly a year went by when my student mom, I'm not married to my boyfriend, but we've been together forever. Mm-hmm. And his daughter became missing on ten ten ten. And but she it was other circumstances, and nearly four years later we recovered her. Well, in the whole process, I had was had hope up on top of the case because people were coinciding putting our cases together, which all we were doing was advertising them together. Yeah. So we had to stop a lot a lot of BS and stuff. But see, my daughter went to school with with uh, Kayla and stuff like that. So we all knew each other, <laughs> and. It's really hard for Hope this time of year. Uh, this time, uh, part you know, we're coming less than a month away from that date. Yeah. And um, she wants her answers. And I must tell you, I can reassure you that our Antigo Police Department is on top of it, and they check out every leads, and they also are going through everything they have. Yeah. You know, I've been, I have Missing Not Forgotten. I started it because of both those girls. It'll always be dedicated with Stephanie, but I have done nothing but advertise Kayla through my balloon releases or every, everything. I, I walk in parades. I, I mean, I do whatever I can, can do to keep her name out in, our, out in our community, let alone the posters that our community helped raise to keep out and fresh. You know, we do everything and we power to leave the police do the right work. We just want that one person that's seen something. So what do Hope and Christine think about this uh, online theory? Well, it's going to take a little bit of investigation to figure it all out. It seems like it's two different stories rolled into one. So I will be looking into it more in a future episode. But next week, we're going to be talking about an online predator or parasite by the name of Arnie Anderson. The calling out Arnie, um, this is what I really needed to discuss with you. And I wanted to do it in a personal note because texting is crap when I'm, when I'm need, well, when I'm arm deep in my work, I just want, um, reference because, um, you know, he is going to be shut down. He is a fraud. We all, we know this. Mm-hmm. If you figure it out on the way, Hope did not agree for this, the bashing, the, the calling people out. They, he thought maybe, she thought maybe it was a good thing. She feels so bad because he has bashed me. Mm. And um, I'm not worried about it. It doesn't hurt my feelings any. <laughs> um, Iowa police will probably be up his ass after today. Also, one thing before I go, I want to make an apology to the people of Anigo. If you can't tell, I've been saying Anigo wrong this entire time. A listener by the name of Sasha pointed out to me, she apparently grew up near Wausau. And uh, I've been saying Antigo, and it's not Antigo. It's 
Inigo. So kind of like uh, people that aren't from Racine, we'll call it Russine or Italian, Italian. Anyway, sorry for uh, mispronouncing your town's name. I will try my best to say it properly from here on out. Also, one thing before I go. We are quickly approaching the nine-year anniversary of Kayla's disappearance. On August 11th, there will be a balloon release in Antigua to remember Kayla. I will personally be making the drive out there and attending. If you wish to go and show your support, I'll post a link on the Facebook group, which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash searching for closure. I'll also post a link on my website, searchingforclosure.com, where I also post missing persons flyers of Kayla, along with age-progressed updated photos of what she would look like today. If you know something about what happened to Kayla, please say something to someone, anyone. Either email me at info at searchingforclosure.com or contact authorities at 715-627-6411. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.